All right, so Jesus does this thing where he says the greatest in the kingdom is actually called servant. So Javon, I'm going to ask you first, all right? <laughs> How are you serving? Uh, tell me what, what it looks like for you to serve right now. Well, right now I'm a lead coordinator, so I'm introducing different people into different connections. I'm bringing them to the connections. Yeah, then also I'm a link coordinator too. We love the Lou, and so I'm helping Javon also kind of build community within the program. But then also um, every Thursday I volunteer at K Life, where I'm helping like lead students out through games, games, and different things like that. So, what do you guys feel is your biggest gift that you can give away right now? And where's the things that you're talented in and you're excited about? Uh, my biggest gift is probably building community, like a one-on-one -on -one community, and one-on-one -on -one community you can get bigger. So, yeah, I definitely see you as a mentor and just kind of like a big brother to a lot of these guys. Mm -hmm. uh, I would say my biggest gift would be like my own testimony, my own story. In a way, I feel like a lot of people, a lot of more city teens still really relate to my story, the way I grew up. And then also like my uh, spiritual gift of hospitality, being able to like serve people, be kind and like just be a servant for other people. I see that. I see that. Okay, last question for you guys. Um, in the future, like, and you can... Year off, ten years off, a month off. I don't care how you want to interpret this, but how do you see yourself serving? You know, like what what are some things that you see yourself uh, growing in that serving? Um, I see myself becoming a bigger link coordinator. So, like, I know a lot of people that's oh, you're good, you're good. I I let's start up, let's start up. Not yet. Right, here we go. Here we go. Uh, so Javon, uh, yeah. tell me, tell me what you, how you can see yourself uh, growing in the next, uh, you know, in the next season of life. I still see myself being a link coordinator and bigger, building a bigger community. Yeah, I see that. Yeah, I would say some form of like a link coordinator, but also being a, um, I intern for like a little later in the summertime, love coming uh, summer season. I love you guys, you're doing great. Um, for those of you who don't know, uh, these two young men um, are already leading out in, in the way that they serve. And it's been challenging me. And it's awesome and I hope it inspires you as well. We're down in the city. We're getting to see all kinds of really cool things that God is doing. And I haven't told a lot of people this, but um, I actually have been writing it down and uh, over the last two years, um, I wrote a book, and yesterday, I finished my first draft. So, yeah. Um, I just sat down one afternoon, and uh, I thought, you know, how hard can this be? And, like, it's, it's pretty hard. It's, uh, it's no joke. Um, my mom thinks it's pretty good, so that's... Uh, that's where we're at right about now. Um, but I say all that to say that um, my brain has been a little fuzzy. Um, my attention has been split all week. And, uh, and so, yeah, don't, I'm not trying, like, I'm just lowering the bar for today just a little. Uh, however, here's some good news. Uh, the passage we are looking at today is so good that, that it's going to preach itself uh, this is what we in the industry call a humdinger. Uh, this is good stuff. We're in 1 Kings chapter 18, and uh, we're basically, the, the outline for today is we're just going to read it. We're going to let God speak to us, speak to our hearts, 
And we're going to let this morning just be an entire prayer for us. And so I'm, I'm going to invite you to pray with me uh, as we get started. God, you are above all. You're beyond us. You're infinite. You're holy. God, you, you prepare a way for us for life. We're so thankful for that. And, and I'm praying right now, God, that you would, you would take away our distractions, take away our busyness, take away our desire to chase after other things. We need you, Jesus. We need you to speak to our hearts. And so we're praying this because of what you've already done, but we're looking forward to what you will continue to do. And we're praying this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So let's dive right in. 1 Kings chapter 18. This is a good one, and you might even be familiar with this story. Check it out. In verse 16, it says, Obadiah went out to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab then went out to meet Elijah. And when he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and you followed the Baals. Now, summon the people from all over Israel and meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. And so Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. And the people said, Ah, nothing. Um, before we get started, I want to dive uh, pretty deep into the context uh, of this passage. First of all, there's, there's something that's important that we, we haven't read. It's the chapter before, but it hasn't rained for three years in the land. And Elijah has actually prayed to God that it wouldn't rain. And so when, when Ahab uh, comes to him and says, you troubler of Israel, Ahab's ticked. And Elijah, uh, who's the prophet, uh, is, is going to make this huge stand. And it comes to that last line, that verse 21, where he's going to say, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, if Yahweh, the creator of the universe, the one, is the one true God, then follow him. But if Baal, lowercase g God, is, is the Lord, then follow him. And he presents this to the, to the nation of Israel, and they're all kind of like, we don't know. Because that's how lost they were. Now, we, we, have, to, we have to pull back some, some layers here. Um, because I think the first obstacle we come to this passage is that we um, visualize idolatry incorrectly. I don't know if you're like me, but I'm, I'm going to admit today that Indiana Jones has just wrecked my brain when it comes to the word idol. Right? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah? Okay, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you just need to uh, get on your phone real quick and Google um, Indiana Jones, shrunken head, idol. Um, 
uh, okay. Anybody want to do that? Like, I, that makes me a little nervous uh, saying that because I don't know what's going to pop up. But, but there's this scene, right, where Indiana Jones is holding this golden shrunken head, and it's an idol. And the whole movie is idolatry and the worship of this idol. And so whenever I hear the word idol, has anybody done it yet? All right. Okay, it's, it's cool, all right? It, it, I don't have it. It's not even up here, but it's just this little shrunken head that's gold. Um, and whenever I hear the word idol, like, that's, that's the image that I get, right? He talks about this pole, this Asherah pole that the people would just bow down to. It's ridiculous, right? That's silly. Like, you would have, like, like remember the, the story where they melt down the jewelry and they form a cow? And then they start worshiping that? That's, that's silly. That's ridiculous. And we, we read through the Old Testament, and I think we have a tendency to look at all of this language of idolatry as being, ah, obviously, shrunken heads aren't our thing. Right? That's, that's ridiculous. But that's not what idolatry is. Idolatry is is a functional savior. So I want you to replace that word this morning, idolatry, with functional savior. It's something that that is external, and and yes, we're worshiping it, but it's an internal heart motivation. How did the nation of Israel get to this point? Well, they said things like, God, you're great. You're the one true God. You're, You're good. They had been led out of Egypt by a pillar of fire. That's pretty awesome. And, and they get, you remember this, how the, the story of Joshua, you know, they go into this promised land, and as a bunch of nomads who are, who are good at, at shepherding and building tents and doing that sort of thing, they, they, they go into this promised land, and they look around, and they're like, wow, this is a land flowing of milk and honey, how cool is this? How do, we, how do we do this? How do we grow these crops? And the, the, the Canaanites, the, the other, all the ites, um, they, they said, well, here's, here's how you do it. You, you put the seed in the ground, right? You, you put it over there. You uh, make sure it all gets watered. Go down to the temple of Baal. Uh, you're you're going to bow down a couple times to this pole. I, but, like, the reason we do that is because that's a fertility God. It's going to make everything grow. And, of course, the Israelites, they say, yeah, that's, that sounds ridiculous. But then the first year goes by, the second year goes by, third year goes by, and, like, they're looking at their crops, and they're like, ah, maybe there's something to it. You know what we'll do just to be safe? Let's, God, you're the one true God. You are the God. You are, you are Yahweh. You have delivered us out of slavery. You are so good. But just to be safe, I'm going to head over here just to make sure the crops grow. And I'm going to pray to Baal. It's a shrunken little head. It's a golden cow. It's a, it's a pole. It's, a, it's, you know, it's idolatry. And the root of idolatry is that we need something to get us by in the day-to-day. We need a functional functional savior. 
because we get hungry for, for things other than manna and quail. After a while, that gets, that gets old, and, and so we believe that God, he's going to take care of the big stuff, right? But, but maybe we should take care of the small stuff. It doesn't say anything about how to mow your lawn in the Bible, right? It doesn't say what our wardrobe should look like in the Bible. So, so we should take charge of those kind of things, right? This is how we enter into a heart idolatry. God, you, uh, you take care of your stuff, and I'll take care of the other stuff. My friend, um, I've told this story a couple times, uh, but he grew up in Haiti. Uh, he uh, is now over in the States, and he works with us at Love the Lou. He comes down and mentors kids. Um, his dad was a witch doctor in Haiti, and uh, he's got all kinds of crazy stories about voodoo and witch doctoring and stuff, and it is just nuts. And so I'm the kind of guy that, that whenever he's at the dinner table, I've got like a thousand questions, like about growing up in Haiti and how this is even possible. Like he, he will tell stories about people, like, like borderline miracles, people coming to his dad and his dad is doing these rituals with literal shrunken heads, right? He's got the, the necklace and it's just crazy voodoo stuff and people are, are experiencing like healings and stuff. He goes, yeah, there's some, there's some power there. I was like, why, why, why is it? Explain this culture to me. Because one of the things that's interesting about Haiti is that, that the people in, in Haiti are all Christians, right? So they all claim Jesus, and yet they also go to the witch doctor, and they, they do this voodoo rituals. And he said, you know, we've got a saying in Haiti that we need God to save us from hell, but we need the witch doctor to make the crops grow, to, to help us in our sickness. I need God for heaven, but I need the witch doctor for Monday. You know? And, and, and I look at that, and, and I don't know what you're thinking right now, but I, I look at that, and I think, that's ridiculous. That's so silly. That idolatry. Because we would, we would never do that, right? Like, that's not our culture. We would, we would never do it. And yet we, I think, probably have more idols in our country and our culture than, than they do in Haiti. Um, there's so many distractions that are here. So we say things like, this is going to get a little touchy, and so please don't throw anything. We say things like, God, I need you to get me into heaven but I need coffee to help me make it through this day. I, like, don't shoot the messenger. Like, that's... God, I need you to save me from hell, but I really need this iPhone to save me from boredom. We get just enough, God, to get the tingle, to get the feeling, to get, to get the religious experience, but then we need other experiences. And Elijah is preaching to us today because he says, how long are you going to waver between these two gods? Choose one. Jesus says it like this, you cannot serve two masters. And then he says, God or money? Talk about an idol. Idols look ridiculous when they stand next to a holy creator. 
And that's the point. And really what, I, what my prayer is for you guys today is that, that I, can't, I can't list all the idols that are out there. Okay, we're not even going to attempt because there's so many that we can be distracted by. But my prayer is that the Holy Spirit would speak to you. And that he would, he would, he would, God would show up in such a powerful way that the thing that you're serving that's not him would just look silly. I tried explaining Oregon Trail to my kids the other day. Um, so I got a 15-year-old, 12, 10, 8. And I, I started by saying, you know, computers used to be these clunky, uh, heavy machines with, with the small green pixelated screen, you know. And the best thing about those uh, was that it came with Oregon Trail, you know, on the floppy disk. And it was so awesome. There wasn't really much else we did. You know, we had the, the paper with the, the, I don't know, the, the, you know what I'm talking about? Like, and the sound. And, and so I'm trying to explain how awesome Oregon Trail was to my kids. And you know what they said, right? They, they looked at me and they said, Dad, who, who would even do something like that? And I said, uh, well, and I felt like this was a good life lesson. Kids, there will come a time, when 20 years from now, when you're explaining Facebook to someone. And they're going to look at you and they're going to say, that sounds silly. Who would do something like that? And you know what my kids said, right? My kids said, Dad, only old people use Facebook. <laughs> and I said, that's my point exactly. It's <laughs> exactly the point. We look at the worship of Baal as a ridiculous notion. And yet, we as a society are consumed with a device that's going to be obsolete in five years. An idol is an activity of the human heart. It's a craving. It's a wanting. It's an it's a enjoying. Something that, that we're wanting to be satisfied other than God. That's why the very first command in the Ten Commandments is you shall have no other gods before me. Don't fashion anything. Don't make, make any image. Because he can't be duplicated. He's too big. He's the one true God. We don't need plurality of gods. We don't. We just need him. And yet when we begin to wander, like, like the nation of Israel, we end up serving many gods, and it's just not... Possible. So Elijah, he gathers 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of, of uh, uh, Asherah, and he gathers the people of Israel together and he says, you can't have it both ways, choose one. Then in verse 22, he says, I'm the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves. Let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set it to fire. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of, 
call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, well, he is God. And the people said, what you say is good. And Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given to them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning until noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted, but there's no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made at noon. Uh, I, love, I love this one. All right. Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he's deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. There's another version that says maybe he's in the bathroom. Maybe he's relieving himself. <laughs> he's just having fun. They shouted all the louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears as was their custom until the blood flowed. Midday passed and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. You can't flirt around with idolatry. You just can't. And I think that we in a way, live our lives where we're continuously visiting the witch doctors of our society. And because it's acceptable in the church, because we really don't hold each other accountable to it too much, we feel like, ah, it's okay. But the thing about idolatry is, if you flirt around with it, you know, oh, I guess let's just try a little bit, it will consume you. It will consume you to the point where you're lost, where you're completely gone, you're out of your mind. You're, you're up is down, you're down is up, you, you're spinning. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you're there. And you've tried it and you've tried it. And even, even religion becomes just another way of you working your way, spinning your wheels, trying to do it instead of surrendering and allowing God to do his thing. The thing about idolatry is it will consume you. And at this point in the nation of Israel, it had consumed them. Did you catch that? They, when, when a prophet Elijah stands before them, this guy had literally prayed it would not rain, and God's like, okay, no rain. Three years, no rain. Elijah stands before him and says, Who's God? This fertility God? Baal? The one who's supposed to cause the rain? Or Yahweh, the one who delivered us out of slavery? And the people had no answer because they were so lost. They were so blinded. That's what idolatry does to us. There are a lot of examples that I could give. Um, I don't even know if these will land, but like relationships, both good and bad. Success in business, sexual stimulation, hobbies, music groups, sports, yards, house, your looks, your comfort. I, I've been super convicted that, that, like, I can't worship God unless it's the right kind of song. Like, not just a worship song. Like, I need the right worship song. I need the temperature set at 72. If it's 71, like, no. If it's 75, I'm out of there. You know what I mean? Like, we are, we are a culture of comfort. We're a culture of distraction. 
I got a, a Bible, uh, it's a prayer app this week. So I'm on like day four of praying. So, um, Prayer app, and it's called Lectio 365. I highly recommend it, at least after four days. It's great. Um, I'm on, uh, on Wednesday, <laughs> I press play. It's a 10-minute prayer. And it's this British guy, so you know it's good. Right? And I just feel like I'm getting smarter. And, and he talks so slow. And we're 30 seconds into prayer. And I'm like, oh my goodness, come on, dude. Like, he, he said, uh, as I enter prayer now, I pause to be still to breathe slowly, to recenter my scattered senses. And I'm just like, yes, yes, let's get, and you're looking for that button, you know, that's like the two time, the two X, you know, like, let's, let's go, let's get it. And it's my time with God. I can't spend 30 seconds with him without saying, let's go on to the next thing. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you are a slave to your calendar? The busyness allows you to be distracted from what's really going on in your heart. If you can just stay busy enough, then you won't have to deal with, and therefore your functional Savior is of your own doing. That's silly, isn't it? That something as stupid as like a calendar, which is, is very finite, would distract us from an infinite God. That's how idolatry works. A really easy way to determine what your heart idols might be is if you open up your browser and you see what ads are being suggested to you. Right? So it's a really good exercise. Uh, you think of those pop-up ads as just their idolatry algorithms, Right? This is where your mind has been. Some of you have got like, well, some of you might have like an Indiana Jones shrunken head on the side. So I apologize about that. That's my bad. But like whatever, whatever that algorithm is suggesting, that's where your brain went. You might have said it out loud and the spies are coming to get you, but that's where we're spending our time. That's where what's happening. If you're unsure about the idols that you serve, I'm actually going to suggest something a little bit more spiritual than that, um, and it would be the, the discipline of fasting. You talk about wanting to, to, to understand how weak you are. This is why I love fasting, and I hate it at the same time, uh, is because you very quickly realize that he is God and you are not. And I'm not just talking about, about food. Um, like, a good exercise for us all, is to think, what is the one thing that if I had to fast from, what is the one person, the, the something, the someone, that if I, if I couldn't be around them for a week or couldn't be near it for a week, that it would cause me a lot of anxiety. And that's pointing to your idolatry. That's pointing to where our heart is longing for something other than God. Because the spiritual discipline of, of Fasting and is to take that thing 
And then anytime you're having that craving to immediately look to God to sustain. Here's the deal. He does. He will. You don't need to worship Baal. All you need is him. We, there's a bunch that we could talk about. There's way too much in there. But idols don't fill you. They never will. And my prayer is that we wouldn't waste our life trying to get it to work. Because it just won't. I like the Cardinals. I really liked watching the Blues when they're winning. But it's nothing compared to the eternal. I don't know if you caught this, but somewhere in the worship of Baal, he's not listening, and they just start cutting themselves. I get to work with a lot of teenagers that that are actually in that practice where they're cutting. And I ask the question, like, why? Is it a little foreign to me? And the answer always is, I just want to feel something. I get to work with a lot of, uh, of addicts who, who are, have either overdosed or been close to overdosing. And I ask the question, why? And they say, because it the, the dose that I had, the amount that I have, wasn't doing anything for me. I just want to feel. I'm sick and tired of, of Christians saying, we need revival. God, please come to our land. And then immediately turning to some political party or some person that gets voted in and saying, this will save us. And it won't. It hasn't. It never will. any political party, pick one. Pick your favorite, and then we, we just end up blaming the other side when it doesn't work, making excuses. We end up dancing around the pole, looking foolish, looking ridiculous, when all the while, the great I am, Yahweh, is saying, right here, choose me. And we have before, but idolatry has a way of, of leading us astray and then choking us out. Guys, the prayer this morning is that we would, we would stop that way. I can't do it for you. I'm only responsible for, for what God can do in my life. But I want to say that, that for my entire walk with Jesus, he's been pulling out stuff time and time again. There's no other way but surrender. I, I wish I could tell you, like, just do these steps. But it's always, you're going to have to die to yourself. Verse 30. It says, Then Elijah said to all the people, Come here to me. And they came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. And Elijah took 12 stones, one from each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, 
your name shall be Israel. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it, large enough to hold two seas of seed. And he arranged the wood, and he cut the bull into pieces, and he laid it on the wood. And then he said to them, Fill four large jars with water, and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it a third time. The water ran down around the altar, and it even filled the trench. We're going to stop right there for just a second. The main point is, that we haven't even reached the main point, but I want to pause the story here because I love this. Elijah poured water over this wood that he has arranged again and again, so much that the water ran down, soaked through the wood. This is going to be impossible to light. Uh, and there's a song that's currently out, and I really like this lyric. It says, Since when has impossible ever stopped you? When has impossible ever stopped our God? Keep soaking it. You know what's going to happen, right? Not just that, but, but I think God enjoys being the underdog. I think he kind of likes it. Um, he doesn't mind having his, his faithful servant outnumbered 950 to 1. Let's do it. I'll take those odds. He doesn't mind his followers being thrown into a furnace so hot that the guards burned up. He doesn't, he's not shaken when his people go up against 120,000 Midianites with just 300 Israelite soldiers in Judges chapter 7. In fact, when his son is beaten so badly that he can't even carry a cross up a hill to be crucified, God in heaven says, this wasn't plan B. He doesn't mind being an underdog. Since when has impossible ever stopped him? So, I'm pleading with you. You don't need anything else. I know that we're in a weird time in, in the world. There's, gonna, there's all kinds of talk about what might come. And it fills us with worry. And some of us want to just save and save and save and batten down the hatches, right? Like, let's just, let's just gather it all together. Because it seems like it's going to be impossible to get through, but when has impossible ever stopped God? He's got this, you guys. He's got it. You don't need money. You don't need an idol to get you by. Don't need anything else. If you're feeling overwhelmed at home, in your job, in your marriage, if the issue that you're feeling is impossible, well then guess what? God loves that. Let's do it, is what he's saying. If you've un undergone stress and abuse, and sin has been put on you, so much so that you would say, no one could love me in a million years. God says, I'll take those odds. He's got your back. No matter how badly you screwed it up. 
He's, he's at that point today saying, who do you choose? You can keep going back over and over, but with one decision, you can say yes to him. It's just who he is. Verse 36. At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so that these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Read that line with me one more time. Verse 37. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so that these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and it burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil, licked up all the water in the trench. And when the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Yahweh is God. Verse 37 is the main point of the message, and it's what we're looking at today. Elijah does not pray, answer me, Lord, so we can prove how right we are. He doesn't pray, answer me, Lord, with fire. He says, answer me, Lord, so that their hearts can be turned back to you again. Because God cares deeply about your heart. He cares deeply about those who are lost, even when we don't recognize that we are lost. Ultimately, this is a heart issue, which means that, that the antidote for idolatry is going to be worship. And I'm not talking just singing. I'm saying, like, a life of you are God. I am not. Uh, I want to show you guys this slide. Um, in his book, Closing the Window, Tim Chester uh, talks about overcoming addiction and he's specifically talking about pornography and and the lies of porn and he he walks through five steps to receiving freedom and I, I think this is true for any sin and so I'm putting it up up here because I think that if you need something to hold on to if you need some steps today this is really good stuff number one an adoration of God, a worship of God, recognizing that he is it. Fire came down. It consumed the wood. It consumed the rocks. It consumed the water. That's who our God is. Number two, a hatred of sin. Like, if you're struggling right now, a really easy prayer is to say, God, help me just hate the sin. Like, Make it so putrid that I just want to puke when I think of it. Expose my idols, God, so much so that I don't even want to return back to them. God can do that. That's the kind of work that he does. Number three, the assurance of grace. When, when those doubts begin to creep in, look at what you've done. Look at you. You're nothing. You're nobody. God's saying, no, 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 no. You're mine. Number four, the avoidance of temptation. If, if you find yourself like a dog returning to its own vomit, cut it out. Cut your right hand off if it causes you to sin, is what Jesus says. 
Avoid it. Don't go to that place. Don't go to that, that, that spot. That go, don't go in, during that time. Avoid it. And number five, and this is where we are as a church, let's not be ashamed. Let's not have shame covering us, but let's be covered by the, by the blood of Jesus. So we get to talk about it. We take encourage. Appreciate what, what he wrote in that book. But it's, for, it's more than just uh, addiction. It's for idolatry. And I don't know what idols you might be holding on to. But Jesus says it like this to a woman who's drinking from a well of unsatisfying relationships. He says, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Whoever drinks the water I will give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will be a spring of water welling up to eternal life. You know what the woman said? Give me that water. So here, here's how we do it. And, and we're going to sing a decision hymn, but this is, this is the action that it, that it looks like. It, it's you taking it, noticing it, holding it up, and saying, I'm done. We're done drinking anything from the dirty cistern of this world. And we're ready to take on life. Living water. Abundant life. Eternal life. Like, the, the more that we take on Jesus, the less we would even want that nasty, gross stuff. Let's pray. Jesus, we, we're at a decision time. Each one of us, as individuals, has to make a decision. Elijah laid it out pretty, pretty plainly. And so I pray that you would lay it out plainly in our heart. First of all, show us any distraction, any idol, anything that we have been chasing that is not you. And then give us the guts to throw it away. Jesus, I don't know what it looks like if we need to come forward, if we need to, if we need to kneel, if we need to stand, if we need to, to puke. I don't know. I, I just know we need to make our hearts, our hearts need to be turned back to you. We need to, to hold you up over anything else. And so with this time, whatever posture we choose to take to decide, whatever, whatever that looks like, God, I am praying that each one of us is able to decide that it's you we will follow for the rest of our days. Starting today. We pray this in your name.